0: Listening to the Creative Pep Talk Podcast. It is so easy to get lost in the creative journey, and this show exists to help you get back on your path to unlocking your creative potential. I'm your host, Andy J Pizza. Let's get into this episode. So this whole show is about uh, building a thriving creative practice. And, you know, we have kind of our own working definition of what that means. For me personally, creativity is yes, one part self expression, but also. It's about being heard. It's about that expression hitting an audience and connecting in a human way. For me, creative work is kind of this vessel that both you and your audience can connect in together like some kind of weird salad dressing. That's what art is for me because, you know, I feel like the purpose of art in my own personal practice it, it's not just about self-expression. It's about being heard, being understood, and also helping people like me feel heard and understood and seen and represented. That, those are the pillars of success when it comes to creative work. Now, if you're the type of person That is just like, look, my art is more or less a a personal diary, a journal, and I don't, I would do it whether anybody was watching. Then, and if that's your definition of success, what are you listening to this podcast for? Like, there's no, if that is all you want to do is make stuff for yourself, keep it to yourself, then there's no real thing in your way. There's no obstacle That if that is your definition of success. So quit listening to this show. (laughs) This is this show. I love you and I support you, but this show isn't for you. The, the people that I'm talking to, you know, creative work starts, it starts with yourself, but it's a seasonal thing. It's a process. It's a journey. It's a, this thing started from me for me, but I also want to develop the craft and the mechanics to Communicate, and the definition of communicate is to transfer my thoughts and feelings into other people, and art is the most glorious tool for doing so. An analogy, a metaphor, a story, a picture can take your internal experience from the inside of you And you can inject it and connect it to other people. And you both can be like, yeah, that's how it is. That's how being a human is. That's what it feels like to have, you know, a different kind of brain. That's what it feels like to be in the margins. That's what, you know, whatever it is, all these different particulars. We have this burden of of being a human that means our experience is a solitary one. And for me... Art is, uh, is, is really primarily about finding a vessel outside of me and the audience that we can both get into and be like, that's what this feels like. And I don't feel alone. That's what creative work is to me. You know, there's this idea that the true artist would create what they create, whether they're on the biggest stage in the world or deserted on an island. But there's this funny thing when they study people in that kind of isolation, you lose your sense of self. And therefore, you wouldn't be making art because there's no self to express. Okay, I'm not saying my way's right diary, journal, artist doing it for themselves, keeping it themselves is wrong. There is no wrong way. But I am just highlighting that that's what this podcast is all about. Now, This episode is to tackle the problem of how does one do that? How does one connect? Once you have something to say, something to share, something that you, a catalyst for the type of creativity that you want to make, how do you do it in such a way that that transference of thoughts and feelings is successful? Because have you ever felt like, oh, This is something, man, and you serve it up in a cup and you throw it out there into the universe and it's crickets. You know, I don't know if you've ever had the experience of bombing on stage, you know, whether it was a choir performance in school or theater or doing a talk or whatever. If you've ever been in front of a group, even in class, an oral book report, if you will, if you've ever been in that situation and it's not going well, Like scientists would say, it is akin to the feeling of I'm dying. We're social animals. We're very sensitive to being ostracized from the community. And when you are addressing the community, a community of your peers, and they are giving you the vibe of death, it is one of the most awful feelings in the world. And I actually think that's why some people choose to treat art as a completely solitary experience is not just because it's not necessarily always just because they want that, but because it's too vulnerable to risk bombing, to risk putting the thing out there and the transference to be, you know, you're uploading it to the server and there's a malfunction and halfway through it dies upon, you know, arrival. Like that's, that is an awful, awful feeling. And so if you're in a place right now where you're feeling like, I want to I be known. I, be heard, I want to be heard. I want to connect. But things just fall flat more often than I'd like them to. This episode is for you. So... Let me tell you about a friend of mine, okay? A good buddy of mine, his name is Nick, okay? And Nick, I love the guy. He's a great person, but I'll tell you one thing that I don't like about Nick is that there's been a few times where I've had to follow him on the highway like trying to or going through the city trying to he's like yeah just follow me I'll take you to the restaurant and here's the thing we'll be driving and he'll run through a yellow light knowing I'm not gonna make it he'll make a quick turn without any indication you know there's all of these different things that you do when you're trying to be followed if you're Uh, Nick, if you're trying to lead us somewhere, if you're trying to let someone follow you, you have to drive differently. And the same is true for creative work. If you want more followers, if you want people to connect and you want to take them somewhere, there's a certain way that you need to drive. And you can't just blow through red lights. You can't make sharp turns. You have to drive differently. In this episode, I want to dive into exactly what I mean by that. Okay, so how do you, how do, how does one drive differently as a creator in such a way that people will be able to follow along and connect with where you're taking them? How do you do it, man? I'll tell you how I think it's done. And I think it starts with making a massive perspective shift that I'm going to tell you about in a second. Now. We just released a new Skillshare class on the 10. It says this is about social media. It it kind of is. It, It definitely is. It's got a lot of social media tips and exercises. But the heart of it is nothing to do with getting more followers. The heart of it is about how to connect with people through your creative work. And if you've taken the class, you probably picked up on, you know, on this whole podcast, we're constantly talking about the creative journey. We're talking about you going on your creative journey. But the weird thing about this class is that we're talking about the journey of the true fan. It is the journey of your audience. And the point of that is, is that when you show up to connect, when you go to put out your work, when you go to publish it, I think that is the perspective shift that is necessary. Now, we've talked about this first part on uh, other episodes of the show, but this episode is a deep dive into the first thing you have to do to drive differently in order to actually connect with your audience is you have to shift your role as an artist from being the hero of the story to being the guide. This is a massive, massive shift. And I think it is a difficult one to fathom on first blush. The first time I ever heard this concept, I thought that doesn't apply to artists. Like it's cool, but it doesn't apply to artists. The first time I heard this concept was through Nancy Duarte. She has a Ted talk about how to give Ted talks successfully. And she has studied the great speeches of Martin Luther King and, and Steve jobs and, uh, all kinds of, you know, Churchill, all the people through time What talks actually hit home? And she discovered this framework, this process of how that works. But the biggest thing that she realized was that the number one differentiator between a successful talk and an unsuccessful one was the posture of the speaker. Did the speaker think that being up on stage in front of people made them the hero Or did they see themselves as a guide? The people who hit home in their speeches in a transcendent sort of way are the folks that do not see themselves as the hero, but see themselves as a guide taking their audience to a discovery, helping them guiding them, driving differently so that the audience, the heroes of the story can follow along. The first thing that I want you to do is just open up yourself to the idea that the role of the artist might not be to be the hero of the story. You know, I don't know about you, but when I go to a concert, I don't go there for the musician, I go there for myself. I'm sorry to say it. I go there for myself. I go there because of the way that their music makes me feel. Because they are a guide guiding me along a path to something I want, which in that case of a concert, it's a feeling. If I go to a stand-up comedian, I go to them for them to guide me to laughter. If I go to a talk, I go for them to guide me to an aha moment. I don't go there for the benefit of the speaker. I don't go there for the benefit of the painter. That's not why I go to a museum. I go there to be guided. So the first thing you've got to do is make the shift in your practice to say, once I'm in the phase of delivering something to an audience, I am now the guide. I am now guiding them along to an experience. And the hero portion of this process, there's a few different ways you could look at it. You are the hero in your own life. I'm fascinated by, as I study the journeys of my creative heroes, I notice this common thread where creative breakthrough is predicated on personal breakthrough. It is something that they discovered in life that then they put into a song. It's something that they discovered in life that then they wrote a science fiction story about to illustrate, to animate, to illuminate this thing that they learned from life. If you do not live your life, you don't have anything to make art about. The other place where perhaps you are a hero in the journey is when you are experimenting When you're in the phase of the creative process where you're throwing around stuff, you are fighting those creative dragons. You're slashing with your paintbrush, trying to find something new. And when you find something that works, when you find something that's fresh, when you find something that lights up your creative taste buds and maybe makes you shed a tear or makes you laugh, then it's your job to become the guide. After that, you say, I found this new shape that you've never seen before. I found this new way of refreshing something old. I found this funny little tidbit. Now, your job is to take that out on stage and see through your craft Your creativity ends up becoming the craft of how you master the art of guiding them to the same discovery that you made. Your job is to help them understand through technique, craft, mastery, how to guide them into the same feeling that you had in the creative process. And so... Yes, there are phases within the process where you are the hero. And I think that they are primarily your life, living your life. And as you stumble upon truths, humor, mental health breakthroughs, whatever they are, then it's time to filter those things through the lens of creativity as the guide and transfer those into other people. The other place is like i said when you're experimenting trying things out finding new sounds finding new shapes finding new colors new ways of making a mark those two are discoveries that once you go publish them you are giving you're guiding them you're doing the work for them to to have that experience of something fresh something new Okay, the second thing, after you're ready to entertain, are you come on? I'm trying to guide you there. Okay, right? Um, are you oh, just open yourself up to this this experience, this perspective shift for a minute? You know, I am a big believer in, I just want to highlight this real quick. I'm kind of always approaching this show in a sort of postmodernist way, where I'm saying, I'm not saying that it is absolutely true that. To have a thriving creative practice, you must be the guide. Only those who think of themselves as the guide actually get anywhere. I'm not actually saying that. I'm saying like a postmodernist who would say there is no way of naming exact truth. I'm saying here's an idea. Here's a concept that actually has worked really well for me, and I've seen it work for other artists. And it's even just a perspective shift that you might make for a season of time. So if you are through number one, you're ready to entertain that maybe you're not the hero of your creative practice, but you are instead a guide for your audience, the second thing that you got to do is say, who are your guides? As you no doubt have guessed, I am Morpheus. Who are the people? Who are the artists? Make a list. Who are the artists that guided you to something, gave you an elixir that changed everything for you? Now, I have this feeling that the artists that made the biggest Deal to you, the people that you think of as your favorites are rarely the ones that impressed you the most. They're not the people who you think these are the best artists. These are the most original. These are the you know here's my list. Your list isn't a list of the best. It's a list of your. Favorites and your favorites aren't the ones that impressed you, they're the ones that changed you. Man, they're the ones that guided you into a personal breakthrough, they became your kind of creative Sherpas, if you will. They're the people that guided you up the mountain. You know him, mm. take it to him. I will. <laughs> In Martha Beck's book on integrity, she has a new book. She talks about how your guides have to have at least one value that you don't have. And at first I was like, what? That's kind of weird. I, you know, I would kind of consider... Most of our favorite musicians, artists, filmmakers would be people who were like, we're like that person, not different to that person. But then I stopped and I thought about all of my favorite artists and I realized that at the time that I discovered them, the reason they made the biggest impression on me was because they gave something to me that I didn't have. There are tons of artists that I love that don't do that but they're not the pivotal ones. They're not the ones that I become a true fan of. The one that I become a true fan of are people that deliver, artists that deliver something to me that I had no way of attaining myself. And I looked back through all of the artists that I would say, these are my favorites. And that was the determining factor. That was the primary difference is that they introduced me to something. They guided me to something. They I followed them into something it was actually either completely something that was not in my possession because I just had never stumbled upon it, or something sometimes that was actually the opposite of who I was. You know, the band Modest Mouse, they're on that list. I'm going to go through some of my lists just as examples. Modest Mouse, when I got, when they became my favorite band, I was actually deeply entrenched in a very Bible Belt, Midwestern religious perspective. And Isaac Brock is throughout all of his lyrics kind of spouting off some kind of, you know, twist on nihilism and existentialism and all these different perspectives that are actually pretty anti-religious philosophies. And it was this weird thing that contradiction is actually one of the things that caused me to lean in. Because they had something I didn't. That's what made them the guide. And so make a list. I made a little list right here. Braggle Rock, Wizard of Oz, Wonderland, Alice in Wonderland, Berenstein Bears and the Bad Dream. That particular Berenstein Bears book blew my freaking socks off. Highly recommend seeking it out. I love like uh, like some kind of fancy connoisseur. I'm like... Yes, I would say the uh, Bernstein Bears and the Bad Dream is the most choice of literature picks that I can recommend to you. Um, Marvel, X-Men, Jim Carrey, Harry Potter, The Matrix, Modest Mouse, Little Prince, Miyazaki, a bunch of, uh, it keeps going from there, but I did it kind of chronologically. And I just listed them out, brain dump them out, look back through your past, what were the, and don't, don't be Uh, medium specific be agnostic about that it doesn't have to be the type of art that you make I think it's good to pull from throughout so that you can get beyond the cup that it's served in and get to the essence of the the actual coffee of what's below the surface of what actually changed you because when we're talking about guides we're not talking about art we're talking about life And art that talks about art is kind of this weird, like, you know, mirrors facing mirrors thing. It's like total nonsense art that talks about life. That's the kind of stuff that totally changes you. And that's the kind of work that you want to make if you want to deeply connect. And it starts with saying, who are my guides? So brain dump those out and we'll move to step three. Step three. So I've talked about this a few times on the show. I'm a huge fan of the band Waxahachie. The songwriter Katie Crutchfield is is the person behind that band. And I've been a fan for a long time, but her new album, St. Cloud, just blew my freaking socks off. And it was a big shift from kind of indie punk to what's essentially like country folk music. And it just found like a duck getting in water but playing a song that's what it sounded like uh She doesn't sound like a duck, but I'm a huge fan of this album and I can't get enough. And so I'm reading all of these interviews and everything that went into this creative breakthrough in this album that just I've been completely obsessed with. And one of the things that I found was that she her favorite musician, her favorite songwriter is this country artist Lucinda Williams. And she talks about the album that changed her life. We're talking about in this episode, how do you become the kind of creative that people genuinely connect to and want to follow? You can't just be someone that's exactly like the stuff they already like. You have to do something different. You have to make an impression on them. And she talks about discovering Lucinda Williams, you know, the first time she ever heard one of her songs. It was from a mix that someone gave her and she wasn't really sure she liked it initially. You know, she wasn't into country. She really valued genre. She valued punk. That's what her early roots were all about. And if it wasn't punk, she was kind of like, I don't know. And she really describes exactly what we were talking about on how guides are giving us a value. They're giving us something that we don't currently have. And that means that sometimes your favorite thing, the thing that changes your life, the art that really makes that life-changing impression, the first time we get a taste, we're actually confused. We're actually not sure. And in this article, that's exactly what Waxahachie is describing. And then eventually... 10 years later, after she'd already built a music career, she went back to one of these albums and she was diving in and she realized that one of the things that kind of confused her or was a stumbling block initially was just how genreless Lucinda Williams really was. Yeah, she was country, but she was also pop and she was also folk and she was all these different things. And it was so blurry And it made her realize that in her own creative practice, she'd always valued, you know, a specific genre like punk, but in herself, she felt like a bag of contradictions and it felt like a massive problem. And Lucinda Williams became her guide to show her that contradictions aren't a problem. They are the ingredients of actual creativity. That creativity is a bag of contradictions. Anytime I'm speaking with a creative and they're stuck at a crossroads and they say, I don't know if I should go over there or if I should go over there uh, that way. And I'm like, yes, both. Because creativity is almost always some form of combinatorial practice where you're mixing all that salad dressing together. I don't know what the salad dressing thing is on this episode, but she realized Lucinda guided her into accepting, celebrating the multitudes, the contradictions, both within herself and her music. And that created this breakthrough album. And so the third thing you've got to do is say, what Did these guides lead me to? For my ally is the force, and the powerful ally it is. Life creates it, makes it grow. (sighs) Its energy surrounds us. Go back through that list. Hopefully, you listed 10 to 20 things and see if you can find some patterns, some buckets, if you will, that we can throw these things in. I'll give you an example for me. I think my buckets are neurodiversity, philosophy, story as religion, hidden worlds, and POV, points of view, like a particular point of view. And so neurodiversity in that bucket, one of the things I noticed is a lot of the people, a lot of the art that really knocked my socks off were things that were celebrating a vast diversity of personality, powers, preferences. What I loved about Jim Carrey was that he was unlike any human I had ever seen and embodied that without any concern for what anybody else thought about it. And it was this neurodiversity and, you know, come to find out later, he also has ADHD and that was probably part of what I was receptive to. Marvel, I, you know, I'm as basic as it comes in my love for Marvel and I loved X-Men. I loved the, the, the seasons or the season finales of things like X-Men where like there was a crossover of Fantastic Four and Spider-Man and, you know, all the different properties and it was just hundreds of superheroes. I just freaking loved it. By the way, that Berenstein Bears book, that's what I loved about that. That bad dream, there's these superheroes in that Bernstein Bears book that are called Space Grizzlies. And if you don't know Berenstein Bears, it's just like kids' books. And there's just one particular one where even the backgrounds on certain spreads have like a hundred different space grizzlies. And I just, as someone who is ADHD... Boredom and monotony and the mundane is my kryptonite. I love new, different. And so when I see something different, I don't recoil. I lean in. I love it. I'm all about it. So Marvel was that. Donald Glover, when I saw his This Is America video, and he is owning his neurodiversity, he's owning his just particular expression of being a human and it goes beyond like the way that he's dancing and and existing and communicating and performing in that defies all stereotypes and it's just like what the heck is going on and that that video just blew my freaking mind and that's why i put it in my bucket I'm not going to go through all of those, but I wanted to give you an example of what this looks like for me. How did I find these buckets? You want to you wanna find these buckets, okay? Because these are you, yes, we're going to get to in a minute how you're going to guide your audience to places that you've never been guided to, that you wish you had been guided to. But for now, we're going to talk about how a lot of your buckets are more like picking up a torch, it's a torch bucket. <laughs> uh, but, you know, my buckets, neurodiversity, philosophy, story as religion, hidden worlds point of view, you know, hidden worlds. It took the, I didn't even notice like so many of the things where I was like, oh, viscerally just changed by were Wizard of Oz. It's an invisible world. Alice in Wonderland, Spirited Away. They're all Fraggle Rock is a world under your feet that you don't know exists. I love the hidden. I love, it's so weird as an illustrator to be somebody who's most obsessed with things you can't see. That's deeply impacted my work. And, and, uh, and so anyway, I went through here. Philosophy, I put Modest Mouse and Little Prince in that. Uh, story is religion. Moana, Harry Potter, About Time. They're philosophical fiction and we don't need to go through more of these, but you get the point, okay? So next thing you got to do, the third thing you got to do is say, here's all those guides that changed me. What did they guide me to? Is there something you want to tell me? Is there something you want to hear? What did, and don't get, don't be like, I don't know, I just liked it. Shut up. If that's the kind of person you are, you're listening to the wrong podcast. Because here we like to go behind the thing, behind the thing, behind the thing. And so I don't even know who I'm yelling at. Because you never would have made it this far listening to this show. But what we want you to ask is really wrestle with. Make that list. Try to get to the bottom of. What did they give me that I didn't have before I encountered it? That's why this thing became extra special. Not just something I liked, but something that changed my life. Okay, once you have your guides... Then you figured out what they guided you to. The next thing you got to ask yourself is how, how did you do it? How did you successfully transfer that thought and feeling into me? Especially when I might've been resistant to it because it was foreign because I didn't have it. And we can tend to recoil from those sorts of things, right? How did you, how did the creator seduce you into openness, openness, to receive something that you didn't have. It's, that is that—is the art of how you bring someone along. When will I know I'm ready? You won't. It's a leap of faith. That's all it is, Miles. A leap of faith. You know, a lot of people say, like, that sounds manipulative. I strongly feel that creativity is a form of not manipulation, but of guidance. How do you get them to say yes to the call to adventure, to be open to where you want to take them? How do you do it? What is the process? You know, a few examples of this for me, there's a a book I've told you about. It's called Invisible Ink by Brian McDonald. It's all about the craft of storytelling. In that book, he talks about the Iron Giant. The Iron Giant, the creator of that story, They were guiding you into knowing that you are who you choose to be. Such a primary example of what we're talking about. In that story, what is necessary for someone, for an artist to be able to create a piece of work like the Iron Giant, that person has to have the life experience before they can have the artistic experience. They have to go on the life journey before they go on the creative journey. They had to learn that you are more than the sum of your parts. You are who you choose to be. They learned in their own life, just because your mom was like that, just because your dad was like that, just because that's what's in your DNA, you actually have a choice. That's the point of that whole story. And so... It doesn't matter what your genetic programming is. You get to choose who you are and what they did with that. They, they started with the truth and then they gave it a mechanic. They gave it a craft. How did they get you to not just know that truth, but to feel it in a visceral way? Like you learned it yourself. That is the magic of storytelling for me. Storytelling is the art of transferring something that you maybe know to be true in your head and making you feel it in your heart. How do you do that? You do it through creating a fiction. You do it through creating a metaphor. And the metaphor of the Iron Giant is, here's an enormous robot that is programmed to be a killer, but does that robot choose who they are? Or does does the programming choose that for them. And that's a whole allegory to this truth. So then the question becomes, how did they do that? Well, they they used genetic programming, they they used your DNA, and they created the metaphor of robotic programming code. They said, We're gonna say these are akin. So if you program a robot to be a killing machine, Does it have to be that? Or can it make choices against that? That's the thing that gives it the resonance. And the metaphor is what brings it to life. So you say, how did they guide me through that? They did it through the... Use of metaphor, but you don't stop there, man, because that's not good enough for this guy. We got to take metaphor and then say, what is a metaphor? How do you do that? My favorite explanation of this comes from one of my creative heroes, Frank Camaro, phenomenal designer and teacher speaker. And he said, when he's looking for those examples, he's looking for same verbs, different nouns. And so the verbs are the same programming. But the nouns are different, a human and a robot. That's the kind of deconstruction that we're talking about when we're trying to get to the bottom of the how, the mechanics of what our heroes do, how they guided us to this breakthrough, because it's going to teach us how to pick up that torch. Because the only thing anyone needs to be special is to believe that you can be. I know that sounds like a cat poster, but it's true. Another example, I was listening to, I'm a big fan of Song Exploder. It's both a podcast and it turned into a Netflix documentary. Loving, loving it. I just love that whole thing. And it's just taking an artist, a musician, and walking through exactly what went into a particular song usually it's one of their songs that they're most known for rostam who we had on this show he was one of the original co-founders of vampire weekend and also a solo artist and and grammy winning producer i'm a huge fan he's on that show talking about his song bike dream and he's going through what his vision was for this he wanted to make like futuristic t-rex the band t-rex and he was thinking about how did T-Rex do what they did? Well, one of the things they did as guides was they said, what makes boogie? Like he says they, that the singer in that band was very interested in how does one make a song that's considered boogie? And he finds out it's this particular type of simple, fast repetition with chords. That's the the mechanics of what makes something feel groovy in a type of boogie-woogie way. And so that's exactly what we're describing here. And that kind of simple, fast, repetitive chord progression is what Rostam puts into his song, Bike Dream, to use the same mechanics as his heroes. You know, for me, this looks like Jim Carrey. How did he make me feel like it was cool to be weird? And he did so. He said his breakthrough on his how, his mechanics of how to guide people to what he wanted to guide them to, which was being free of concern, he decided to create a character that was free of concern. He created a character that was completely and utterly the his weirdest self without any concern, without even noticing how other people feel about him. And I actually think that is the key to cool. The key is to cool is to be unbothered by other people's opinions. I think that kind of uh, chill, that kind of posture through life is what makes you cool. And so that's how that was his mechanic. Another one of my guides is Mike Berbiglia. I discovered him on the podcast, This American Life, and the way that he became a guide to unlock uh, my obsession, one of my buckets, which is the power of a, a particular point of view through the lens of a, you know, one person show, one person sharing their story. How did he guide me to that. He did it through the lens of surprise. Ira Glass says they don't put a story onto this American life if it's not surprising. The the mechanic there is it's got to start in a way that you can't expect the ending. That's what they're looking for. That's their metal detector. And so that's their mechanic. And what that does for me is it says I can go through my life what were the things that happened to me that were surprising? What were the truths that seemed counterintuitive? Those are surprises. Every single episode of this show is supposed to be something surprising. It's supposed to be surprising that the artist isn't the hero. If there's no surprise, like Ira Glass, glass like This American Life, there's no show. That's one of the mechanics that I employ. Okay, number five, the last one on the list is where can you take others that your heroes couldn't? That's really when you come into your own, man, in my opinion. That's where it gets juicy when you're taking them places that no one's ever taken them. You know, I was listening to an episode of Object of Sound by a podcast by Hanif Abdur-Rakib, and he had Sufjan Stevens on who I'm a huge fan of, who's a folk musician. If you don't know, indie folk, been, been a huge fan of Sufjan for a long time. And this interview was really great. And, and it's all about Sufjan's new collaborative album where they watched a bunch of old movies as kind of inspiration and source material for the making of this album and these songs. And they were pulling from specific movies. And Sufjan was talking about how almost all of the movies from the past that they watched were problematic in some kind of way. And as you go through your list, you know, if you you do this journey long enough, you're going to live long enough to see your heroes not measure up. And I actually think as heartbreaking as that experience will be, it is the actual starting block of your journey. When you have a critique to make, you become that next level creator because that critique represents something that you're going to guide your audience to that you never received anywhere else I'm not who I used to be. Remember who you are. Fans of the show know one of my all-time favorite quotes is from Gary Shandling, comedian and Buddhist. Gary Shandling said, your role as a creator is to give what you didn't get. That's when it gets juicy. It gets juicy when you don't have any more guides. You don't have any more heroes with you that's when you level up. And Sufyan was saying that as discouraging as it was to watch all of these movies from the past have these massive problematic errors within their storylines and frameworks and scripts, he said, ultimately, it should be really encouraging. It should be something that we celebrate because a bigger problem would be is if it wasn't true. Because if it wasn't true, it means that we haven't made any progress. And I am going through this experience right now where I'm having a handful of heroes, creative heroes, who I just don't know if I can follow them anymore. You know, and it's kind of heartbreaking, but I take heart in the fact that it's then my job to take what I learned from them and take it further. You know, Dam doesn't just stop with, t-rex boogie sounds he's got to mix that with coldplay and then ultimately something from his own story because that whole song is his first song really sung through the lens of being a gay man you know it's a it's a it's a gay love story not something that t-rex ever did or coldplay ever did this is unique to rostam you know i had hallie stanford on this show she is the executive president at the Henson company. It was a super huge uh, dream to get to know Hallie and have her on the show. And I said, you know, who are your heroes? And she said, people like Steven Spielberg. And she named a few other creators that were really inspiring to her. And then I said, well, how are you different to them? And she said, well, the first thing that comes to mind is I'm a woman and the stories I want to tell and the experience I've had, they, they, they're going to filter and and translate into different types of stories. And so for me, you know, one of my all-time heroes was Jim Henson. And as I read his biography and I thought about his body of work, you know, I decided that I would I see that he had a massive fascination with tech and was actually less interested it seems in story structure and storytelling in the traditional sense. And so I thought I would love to be like Jim Henson, but have more focus on story than tech. And when I look back through my favorite things that Jim Carrey made back in the 90s, like I see some big errors and I want to embody the neurodiversity that he did, but I want to be even more inclusive than that and as heartbreaking as that might be to hold your creative guides up to the light in this way, it is the start of your biggest creative breakthroughs. I'm going to give you some homework that I'm jazzed about, and before I do that, I just want to go a little summary of the episode because we went through a lot of stuff. Number one, first thing you got to do is you got to be open. Just let's play with the idea that you're not the hero. You know, I think it's a good exercise even just for my ego to to just play the guide for a second in my creative journey. Uh, The second thing you got to do is list out who are your guides, who are not just your favorite artists, but the artists that change your life, man. That's a thing. Let me just hold on a minute. Just cut the tape. Keep rolling though. Uh, I don't, there is no tape. Um, I wanted to, I wanted to say that, you know, I just want to highlight, you know, that creative work changed your life. You know that art matters to you. It made you who you are in so many ways. These artists of yours, they didn't just pass the time for you. They didn't just give you an escape. The artist on this list, their lives and their work mattered because it made an impression, it gave you something, it guided you to something that you could not have found on your own. And I want you to remember that when you're making creative work, because creative works matters, big or small. You know, some things in my list are little things like (laughs) the Bernstein Bears and the Bad Dream. Some things are, you know, the Matrix that were a movie phenomenon moment in our whole universe. (laughs) Then there's just things like the spider verse, which was a kid's movie, but all of these things big and small just, just blew me away. Some of them are talks by friends, Aaron Draplin, Lisa Congdon. like those, those talks not only just changed my day, they impacted the choices I made. I chose paths because I followed those guides You never know the impact you have when you make art. You just don't know. Anyway, number one, make the shift of perspective. Number two, list out who these people are. Number three, say, what did they lead me to? What did they guide me to? Number four, how did they do it? How did they get me to say yes? How did they get me to, how did they transfer that thing that they had into me? Number five, where are you going to take them that those guides couldn't? And here's your homework. I want you to think about, you know, there's two types of guide archetype and you can embody them in different times with different pieces of art. There's all kinds of different ways to explore this, but there's two main ones. There's Gandalf and there's Sam. Okay. Gandalf is I've done this journey and I'm going to help you do the same. Those guides are often giving you actual answers. Think of the iron giant. A lot of kids' movies, a lot of Pixar movies are like this, where they're actually giving you an answer, okay? And I actually have a lot of love for that kind of guide. You know, if you are that type of guide, you have a very clear sense of, this is exactly what I'm transferring from me to you. Like, I have something to say. I have a mission. Okay. Now, the Sam, the Samwise Gamgee, this is the person that goes on the journey. It's the guide that is alongside of you and often is more just presenting questions. I wonder if we'll ever be put into songs or tales. What? I wonder if people will ever say, let's hear about Frodo in the ring. And they'll say, yes, that's one of my favorite stories. You know, Sam is, is, doesn't have all the answers, but he does have some pretty good questions. You know, Soul, the movie, Pixar movie Soul is kind of like a Gandalf movie. It's about like life isn't about a destination. It's about the journey. On the other hand, uh, some of the more grown up things are often more Sam type movies. Sam guides, three billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri. We just watched that for the first time and uh, it doesn't really give you any answers it's more just giving you a good question like how do we stop the cycle of anger begetting more anger? You know that it's a it's a little bit more postmodern sometimes, the Sam and and I actually think in this podcast, there's an ebb and flow between here's something I found in my creative practice that works. and then there's Sam episodes where I'm saying, you know, this is kind of what I'm working through right now and here's some of my questions and what I'm wrestling with and what I think might work and I'm going alongside you on the journey and I think there's a sweet spot even in between those, kind of embodying both at the same time. But for you, I want you to just ask yourself, the next thing you make, I want you to embody Gandalf for Sam. Is this an answer kind of piece or is this a question? I think both are valid. But I ultimately think that if you want to connect, that you've got to learn to drive differently. Sam's not going to walk the same way when he knows Frodo's got a blister, right? you got to keep that in mind because as you go along, if your practice has at its core connection, knowing, that you're trying to get someone to follow along, someone to connect, you're gonna wanna know if you're a Gandalf or a Sam. You're gonna wanna go in with an intention. You're gonna wanna drive differently if you're expecting anyone to follow along. All right, I hope that this gave you enough jazz and pep to get you to get stuck in to another week on the old creative path making stuff making progress to unlocking your creative potential that's what this show is about don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss an episode and if you want to help up help up help out help the show you can rate and review the show on Apple podcast that actually helps if you've never done it and you're a super creative pepperoni and you haven't done it? Can you really call yourself that? No. I. Well, you can. I, I'm not going to be that harsh on you, but I'd appreciate it. <laughs> it helps the show. And uh, we are part of the Co-Loop Podcast Network. co is a network of creative podcasts that are, d- that are just designed to fuel your creativity. And we're happy to be a part of that group of podcasts Thanks to the band Y for our theme music. Massive thanks to Alex Sugg for our soundtrack. Thanks to Sophie Miller, AKA Sophie Pizza, my better half, and Ryan Appleton for content assistance. Huge shout out to Connor Jones for putting some extra, extra legwork into Legstra. Extra, <laughs> extra legwork into the editing of this episode. I um, hope you enjoyed it. Uh, thank you, Connor. And uh, he's from Pending Beautiful, and he, hell, he edits the show. Thank you. All right. Until <laughs> um, we speak again, you know what you got to do. Stay pepped up.